Powered by RootslandNation.com Listen to back episodes of the podcast. Stream original music. Check out the latest fashions. RootslandNation.com We're your culture. Hello? What are going on, Enrique? Oh, hey, Half Pint. What's up? Bless up my youth. But here's what. I have some pressure. What kind of pressure? From some lawyer people. They won't have to sign a publishing deal. Maybe you can take a look at it for me. Yeah, of course I'll take a look at it. But you should really find your own lawyer. Hey, let's roll out. You want to go to the beach? Get away from things? Yeah, that's so nice. All right, I'll pick you up in 20. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica, from a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. After we moved into our house in Armour Heights, one of the first local artists to come up and hang out was Lyndon Roberts, professionally known as Half Pint, a young Rastafarian singer from the ghettos of West Kingston. Short in stature, with long dreadlocks, a giant voice, and even a bigger heart. He won over Jamaica and the world with his massive 1986 hit single, Greetings an upbeat proclamation to alienated and disenfranchised youth in which Half Pint extends greetings in the name of Jah to all the ragamuffins of the world. Ragamuffin is a common Jamaican slang for street hustlers, jugglers, higglers, the concrete soldiers and ghetto strugglers that make the city run. Many that earn livings straddling the borderline of legality in an inner city gig economy like the window washers and peddlers at traffic lights, valet parkers that hold top spots and clean cars for some extra tips, hotel workers that sell a little ganja to the tourists, and the illegal taxi men and bus drivers that make commuting possible for poor people who otherwise couldn't even work in Kingston. Half Pint Song Greetings gave legitimacy, respect, recognition, to an entire subset of Jamaica's population, a vast underground network that operated in the shadows and felt invisible, not only in the eyes of their fellow citizens, but sometimes even in the eyes of God. Then an artist like Half Pipe comes along, and reminds everyone that in God's eyes, ghetto people, poor people, are just as valuable as the uptown, privileged people they serve. And that for all the diamonds and money and pearls, life, love, and music are the things that are truly eternal and priceless. It was always the highlight of any street dance when greetings blasted from the sound system. Not only did the patrons attending the dance come to life, so did those working the dance. The ones serving the food at stalls and drink carts, little youth collecting bottles, 
herb hustlers down from the hills and security guards watching the parking lots. This was their anthem. Kingston was their town. And for the next three minutes and 30 seconds, they earned the right to remind everyone who really runs things. Brian met Half Pint back in Colorado when Pint was performing on the Reggae Sunsplash U.S. tour. We tried calling him as soon as we arrived in Jamaica, but had the wrong contact number. Luckily, it didn't take long for Rude Boy Tex to track down the right one. Half Pint was a tried and true product of the streets. The pride of Rose Lane, a ghetto community in the heart of West Kingston. Surrounded by political violence and gang warfare. On weekends, he escaped the inner city to go to his grandparents' place in Waterhouse. There, Half Pint learned the strong family values and moral convictions that are at the core of his music. A sound which derives from a place of innocence and honesty. As his songs started to take off locally, then globally, followed by tours, TV appearances, and videos, Half Pint noticed with all this newfound popularity around the world, something was changing back home. And it wasn't him. It was the people around him. Many of the ghetto youth he grew up with had no understanding about the pressure, the price one pays to be successful in the music industry. All the free promotional shows, press appearances and interviews, it takes a sizable investment of time, money, and energy before you see any financial return, if you ever do. Try telling that to friends, family, even strangers that are hungry, have medical expenses, and school fees to pay. The streets of Kingston, once his home, had become hostile. Yet still, the rising star felt the need to help everyone around him, even to his own personal financial detriment. Since he was a young boy, all Lyndon Roberts had to do to escape the broken world around him was sing. Now... Even that was difficult. And if the hardships of the streets weren't enough for the young singer, the Jamaican music business was swarming with greedy and corrupt producers and labels that preyed on naive inner-city kids that had no way of knowing the intricacies of the music business or the contracts they were signing. This was the case when Half Pint recorded his 1983 breakout song, Winsome. He knew he had a smash when the girls in his neighborhood that used to ignore him were now pestering him about how much they loved his tune. And it wasn't only the West Kingston teens that were going crazy for the song Winsome. So was Rolling Stone guitarist Keith Richards, who became so obsessed with it after hearing it on a mixtape in Jamaica that he convinced his bandmates to record a cover version for their 1986 Rolling Stones album, Dirty Work. Winsome was retitled Too Rude, and in a rare move for the band, Keith Richards actually sang lead vocals on the song. And young Half Pint was going to learn, not all that glitters is gold. Yeah, you're too bad. Yeah, you're too rude. Every man I speak, he says he wants to you. Yeah, you're too bad. Yeah, you're too rude. The Rolling Stones had a deep love, respect, and admiration for reggae. That began after the group recorded their album Goat's Head Soup in Jamaica in 1973, a magical year 
that saw the release of Bob Marley and the Wailers' breakthrough album, Catch a Fire, and Jimmy Cliff's film, The Harder They Come, debut internationally. The island was abuzz with excitement, and the sweet sound of reggae was starting to capture the world. Jamaica became a second home for the members of the Rolling Stones, and their connection to reggae was cemented when they signed Peter Tosh, one of the original whalers to their Rolling Stones record label, in 1978. Mick Jagger even recorded a successful duet with Tosh, a pop reggae cover of the Temptation song, Walk and Don't Look Back. Unfortunately, like many musical relationships and collaborations, especially with personalities as combustible as Peter Tosh and the Rolling Stones, something was bound to explode. Then, on a hot, muggy Jamaican night in 1981, in a surreal incident that resembled something out of a Quentin Tarantino film, Keith Richards pulls a gun on Peter Tosh in an Ocho Rios living room, threatening to kill the reggae star if Tosh didn't leave the house that Richards was lending him. Talk about walk and don't look back. The incident severed the relationship between Tosh and the Stones, but did nothing to diminish Richards' love for Jamaica, or the house and living room he would later record a ganja-induced album with an obscure group of Rastafarian Nyabingi drummers. Halfpine had a townhouse on Waterloo Road. I was always anxious before heading to his place. There was something about his roommate that always made me nervous. In contrast to Halfpine's permanent smile, his roommate, Sky High, seemed to have a permanent screw face. At the time, Sky High was Ziggy Marley's bodyguard loyal and trusted Marley soldier. One got the impression he would do just about anything to defend the family and the Marley name. The green-eyed Rasta with tangled dreadlocks went everywhere with his trademark solid wood African walking stick. It was like a biblical rod of salvation. I remember being intimidated by him even back in my tough gong days. He didn't like strangers and was deeply suspicious of outsiders in the Marley circle. It was only after Bob Andy took me under his wing that Sky High reluctantly accepted my presence at the sacred Marley studio. Yo, what's up, Pint? What's going on? How you doing? You're in here. Come in. Is your roommate home? Who, Sky High? Yeah, the Ross. No, he's out on tour with Ziggy. Oh, good, man. Dude, he scares me, huh? He's... Nah, worry about Sky High. I'm cool. Cool? Yo, he's cold. Anyway, where do you want to go? Hellshire Beach? No, Hellshire Beach. It's too crowded. Cable Hut? Yeah, man. Let's go to Cable Hut. Yeah, okay. Musicians Beach. All right, man. Let's go. All right, hurry up. I'm hungry. So forward. Cable Hut Beach is located in 8 Mile, Bull Bay, on the southeastern edge of the island, about 25 minutes from the city with no traffic, which was rare. Known as Musicians Beach, it's the quiet, low-key alternative to Hellshire, the beach east of the city, which usually is crammed with locals and tourists that enjoy more of a party-like vibe and bustling oceanfront seafood shacks. On our way through Harborview, Half Pint read the contract that was sprung on him last minute by the lawyers representing the producers of Winsome, the song that was covered by the Rolling Stones. It was a publishing deal from a major company, offering to pay a sizable advance towards owning a percentage of the publishing rights to the song. Problem was, 
Most of the money wasn't going to Halfpint. It was being divvied up amongst himself and the producers that were most likely taking more writing credit than they deserved. And of course, the lawyers who helped craft the deal. Like most musicians in Halfpint's situation, without the financial wherewithal to hire proper and expensive legal representation, he'd be forced to sign this deal as is and give away a percentage of his publishing rights. He was owed and deserved. This, as I was learning, was par for the course in Jamaica, where a consortium of government officials and powerful record executives rigged the system against the artists by keeping the country's copyright laws vague and undefined and nearly impossible to challenge. Yo, Henry, hear that? Doesn't seem fear that a man have to fight so hard for something that he has earned and deserved. Yeah, I know. It's, yo, they know it. They're smart. They know what they're doing, Pint. They know it's going to cost you more to hire a lawyer to fight them than you'd make if you just signed it right now. This business, Jano, is not for the weak. Pure suppression. Oppression and depression. We pulled off the main road onto a dirt path, and I followed it to the end where I parked my Neva under the shade of a large almond tree. There were only a few other vehicles in the parking lot, and they were parked about 20 yards away, near a jelly man. That's a nickname for someone selling fresh coconuts. We grabbed our towels and worked our way through the tropical foliage until the Caribbean Sea came into view. A few local kids were kicking around a beat-up soccer ball on Cable Hut's dark, coarse sand. They were doing their best to try to avoid two girls who were sitting nearby on a blanket. The pretty light-skinned girl in the black bikini didn't seem to be bothered by the group. The one with a darker complexion, in the jean shorts and pink tank top, she would get feisty and yell at the youth whenever they came too close. On our way down to the water, we passed them, and Half Pint said hello. Hello, Black Rose. Calling the girl in the pink, Black Rose. Everything all right? That made me laugh. She was a real cutie, but had no reaction at all. She sat there, stone-faced, eyes straight ahead. Undeterred, we continued our cruise along the coastline, talking until we got hungry. And then we worked our way back towards June's Fish Hut and Beach Bar, a small weathered seaside restaurant that had been washed away by two hurricanes and rebuilt three times by its determined owner and cook, Miss June. Hey, Wagwan, gentlemen. I'm Miss June. Everything good? Hey, Miss June. Nice yes, to meet Ms. you. June. I'm Henry. This is, no this is Linda. What? <laughs> Half pint? Me nope, can't believe it. Her. My singer from a huh? long time. No fooling her. Greetings I bring from Ja to Wal Ragamuffin. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, nice. We get, a, well, we get a free song with the fish, huh? Sit down. We you want to drink? Yes, thank you. I'll take some warm ginger beer. Okay. And I'll take I'll take a cold red stripe. One hot ginger beer, uh, one cold red stripe. Okay, thanks, Miss June. Me just get some fresh snap on parrot fish. Pick any of them you want. Why don't you pick two snappers for us? Pick the best ones there. Yeah, that's so nice. I'll make some Bamiyan Festival. All right. Bamiyan Festival. Thank you, Miss. Miss June cleaned and seasoned the snapper before gently placing them whole in a large skillet filled with oil that had been heating over some hot coals. As they started to sizzle, the aroma of charcoal and fish 
mixed with the salty beach air. And when the skin was perfectly brown and crisp on both sides, Miss June placed them on a clean paper towel to absorb any excess oil. She put them on a plate with some fresh coleslaw and fried festivals, which are lightly seasoned, cigar-shaped cornmeal fritters that perfectly balance the spice of the scotch bonnet pepper sauce drizzled over the snapper. We used our fingers to peel the flaky white meat off the bone. It was moist and melted in my mouth. The spicy heat from the scotch bonnets lingered for a while. I took a sip of the red stripe and a deep breath. It felt good to get away from the house. Things up at Armor Heights had been tense. When we finally finished the meal, Miss June came over to clear our plates and decided to sit down across from Half Pint. The two of them started chatting. Well, one of them started chatting. <laughs> I have to tell my friend Cheryl who's not going to have a place. She's going to be so jealous. <laughs> and I took the opportunity to head back down to the beach. The breeze had picked up, and so had the waves. The kids that were playing soccer were now swimming in the choppy waters. And the cute girl in the pink top was alone by the seashore. There was no sign of her friend. She was collecting shells, and it looked like she was starting to pick up more than she could handle. So I figured I would offer to lend her a hand. When I got closer, I could see she was deep in her thoughts, looking out over the horizon where a large cargo ship was slowly drifting by. Hello, hi. It looks like you need some help. Excuse me? I need help? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I meant with the shells. With the shells, like... No, thank you. I'm quite good. You need an extra hand? No, my hands are fine. Set of hands? No, thank you. You sure? I said I'm fine. Okay. If it gets too heavy to bear or you need some help, I'll be back up at the restaurant over there, okay? You know, thanks for telling me. I'll keep that in mind. The girl in pink gazed out at the ocean the entire time, without even as much looking my way. I stood there quietly for a minute, soaking up the view before heading back up the beach. She must have thought I had left already because suddenly she turned around and there we were facing each other. Our eyes locked and I froze. It was only for a moment before she averted my stare and then sidestepped me and went on her way. But a moment was all it took. I thought, my God, why did you have to let me see those eyes? I would have forgotten about her so easy. But those eyes, where have I seen them before? I walked back up the beach still in a daze, careful not to look anywhere near her direction. I definitely didn't want to give off that stalker-type vibe, although I may have been a little late for that. Half Pint was still in a conversation with Miss June, so I decided to chill out in the Neva, under the almond tree in the parking area. I sat in the car with the radio low and thought about what Half Pint called her back on the beach. He called her Black Rose. Little did he know how spot on he was. The girl in pink definitely had sharp thorns. But they didn't take away from her beauty. I think they were there to guard it. To protect her precious petals. I started dozing off to the sound of the waves and drifted into a peaceful dreamland when I was startled by a knock on the window. I opened my eyes, but I wasn't sure if I was still dreaming. There she was, standing right in front of me. The Black Rose. 
Excuse me, does that offer still stand? Yeah, of course. Why? Looks like I'm going to need some help after all. Rootsland Podcast is produced by Henry Kane Association with Vicebox Studios. Remember to like, share and subscribe and please support our show by downloading the Rootsland original soundtrack available on Amazon, iTunes or wherever you purchase music. So join the Roots Gang on Rootsland. Yes, Rasta. Henry Kate, Henry Kate Productions.